0: Ready, set, and begin. Soloquacious, an Out in Perth podcast. Welcome to Soloquacious, a podcast from Out in Perth magazine. Soloquacious is where we discuss everything from politics to pop music, activism to art, and all from an LGBTIQ point of view. My name is Lee Hill, and each week I'm joined by my colleague Graham Watson. Hi. And a special guest. In this episode, we are joined by Tiernan Brady, an advocate from Australians for Equality.
1: Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us on the So Loquacious podcast, Tiernan. No
2: problem at all. Great to be
1: over here. Tell me, you're known for your work with the um, campaign that was done in Ireland for marriage equality. How did you start this journey? Where did it begin for you?
2: Um, uh, Well, if you'd told me 10 years ago I was going to be working on LGBT rights, I would have thought you were crazy. I, I really would have at that stage I was at home in the very northwest of the country a place called Donegal where I was the mayor um, tourist town quiet conservative you know it's, the world moves slowly in that part of the world um, uh, and I ended up going back to Dublin for a couple of years and at the time they were talking about civil partnership in Ireland uh, and there was a really good organisation in Ireland called GLEN the Gay and Lesbian Equality Network but they weren't getting any traction on getting civil partnership to happen. And a friend of mine who worked for the Minister for Justice said, would you meet these guys for coffee? And I went, yeah, yeah, sure. Talked through you know, the lie of the land and the world of politics with them. And three coffees later, I was working for them uh, and took over as their political director and put together a campaign to get civil partnership passed. And um, which was not what I thought I was going to be doing even probably ten minutes before the coffee, never mind <laughs> ten years before the coffee.
1: How life can suddenly have these very strange right turns?
2: <laughs> it's brilliant. And, um, and and that was a great campaign because you know, we worked really hard to make sure we had people from every party supported it, that we got LGBT voices from right across the political spectrum. Uh, and I always think that actually when we look at the marriage referendum in Ireland people think about the last four weeks of a campaign but really one of the moments we won it was civil partnership because we managed to get all of the parliament for it, only four members of the parliament voted against us uh, and at that stage you would won the principle and the principle was that lesbian and gay relationships need recognition uh, and once that principles conceded then the rest is negotiation about well once you accept that they're you know have to have some rights then how can you say they shouldn't be treated equally uh, so I think that was probably the biggest milestone on the way to the referendum.
1: I was in uh, Manchester on the day that um, the referendum was passed in Ireland and there were all these amazing uh, mm-hmm. photographs and images on the TV screens. One of the things that really struck me was the um, the campaign to go home to vote, to get on the boat um, and head back to Ireland because you had to actually be there yes. to, to cast a ballot in the referendum.
2: Oh, we're, It's a very strict country on that. You have to... Be a resident of Ireland, or you can vote if you've only left in the last eighteen months. So other countries allow people to vote if they live abroad. Ireland doesn't, uh, probably because you know there's about a hundred million people outside Ireland who say they're Irish. So you know <laughs> we'd end up, you know, the Americans would decide who was running the country. Um, so, but the campaign came home to vote was really beautiful because it was one of those just so powerful. Um, seeing all those people come home on boats and come home on trains, I got this beautiful picture texted to me by one of the security policemen in Dublin Airport the morning of the vote and he just showed this fabulous picture of a queue and he says you have nothing to worry about You know, all these people coming home and then there were the people as well who took part in this and probably more so in Australia who couldn't get home it was just too far or they'd been away for more than 18 months and they produced some of the most beautiful images of people standing outside Sydney Opera House or Dubai or Manhattan going make sure to use your vote i can't get home but vote for me you know and it was all that wonderful human imagery real people just and that was at the heart of the campaign reminding people all the time this is about people it's not about some existential idea in the clouds it's about bob and margaret and you know them all your life
1: we do hear a lot in the commentary which is going on in australia now that especially in we had the lead up to the plebiscite that that moment of having that vote and having that success was a a great moment and that by not having a plebiscite we're robbing people of australia having that moment but are we only seeing one side of that experience of having that campaign
2: yeah no i mean uh, look every country has their own processes we had to have a public vote it was a constitutional requirement it was a change to the constitution and and it was a good experience because we worked very hard knowing that we had to have it to build a campaign that was positive that was about real families you know that didn't become angry or divisive uh, so we were very disciplined about that but also we come from a culture where we have referendums regularly you know every year we'll have one or two about something so it's part of the political culture and um, and here you don't have to have it and if it's not a political requirement you should pass laws the way you would normally pass laws and and in Australia's case that's that's by parliament and I think one of the probably one of the frustrating things, probably for a lot of Australians and probably LGBT people from outside Australia watching, is you have this situation where a clear majority of Australians are in favour of marriage equality. There's also a majority in Parliament in favour of marriage equality, but the political constructs are not delivering on the will of the people. And I think that's very frustrating for people to watch. But I, I think overall, if you have a choice between having a public vote and not, you shouldn't have it there's, there's no need to do your business the way you normally do your business
1: was there an ugly side to that campaign
2: absolutely yeah i mean it doesn't mean that everybody on the no side or indeed a couple of voices on the yes side you know weren't outrageous and weren't disrespectful um but it only takes one or two to change the tone of a campaign you know so you you have an awful lot of genuine people who voted no and had real questions and, and worries and anxieties and and the great thing is, I hope most of those have been addressed. When you look back and realise none of them were realised, none of those fears. But you have, you know, clarion voices, uh, and those clarion voices, you know, inflict real damage with, with words. There's nothing more damaging than words, and you know, and you know, there's there's this attitude to, there's this attitude towards public conversation. Sometimes, ah, you'll be okay, or, or man up, or sure, you know, people are entitled to their opinion. You go, that's fine, but words inflict terrible damage when they're abusive. Um, and, there were and They don't even
1: photos. really need to be abusive. I mean, we've certainly seen yeah. that. I mean, we've, at out in Perth, had comments on our website that we've had to yeah. delete very quickly. We've had, you know, death threats and and very horrible things written. But I wrote about one in the magazine where um, I was actually, went with some mates and had some lunch and we were just leaving the pub and we were actually just across the road from where we are today in um, the studios and uh, was waiting to cross the road at the lights, uh, waiting for them to go green and A man suddenly said to me and my three friends, are you guys gay? And I turned around and there was this very, very tall, (laughs) very big man standing behind us. And your immediate thought was, well, where did you come from and how long have you been with us? Like, were you with us at the pub? Have you been with us for the walk down the street? Did you just get here? How long have you been listening in on our conversation? And he sort of interrogated us about why we didn't like women and we didn't want to have sex with women. And and you know, I said, I've I've never had sex with a woman. I, it's not that I don't like it. I, and he said, Well, you shouldn't knock it till you've tried it. And so I, in my flippant way, asked him if he'd ever had sex with a man. And he said, No. And I told him that he shouldn't knock it till he tried it. And then he went on a big rant about Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve, which I, I thought was sort of lacking originality because we've heard that material before. <laughs> but it struck me that I'm in my 40s and I've never had a stranger stop me in the street and quiz me about my sexuality before and you immediately think well if we weren't having this sort of ongoing long debate yeah. would I be suddenly feeling somewhat unsafe and walking down the street which yeah. for me you know is a, a fairly new feeling
2: yeah I mean I think an awful lot of LGBT people at home find it not just frustrating for as positive a campaign as we ran and as respectful as we want to be it's still terrifying for LGBT people to turn on the radio, you know, turn on the equivalent of ABC Q and A, when they're sitting at home, and hear people discuss their worth, uh, and their value to society, or whether the very fact that they fall in love with someone is a threat to the stability of society, uh, and you know that's just so unreasonable, and it's part of this, you know, infrastructure of homophobia, that former President of Ireland Mary McAleese talks so beautifully about we've had hundreds of years of building a framework of language that has marginalized, punished, ostracized, uh, and harassed LGBTI people. Um, and we're taking that down brick by brick. And unfortunately, we have to be here for the process as that gets taken taken down brick by brick. But it was, it was, you know, a very frustrating time at the same time. I mean, if you're sitting at home and you just want to... Obviously, we all feel this occasionally, throw your shoe at the television. <laughs> But it's even deeper than that.
1: It's normally during Q&A. Yes,
2: yes. No, no, no. The Irish version would be the same. And it goes much deeper than that because, first of all, you're annoyed, but then you're also terrified because you're going, you know, people are going to believe this. And I think one of the really frustrating things about the no-sides campaign in Ireland for a plebiscite, um, and we've seen it repeated in Brexit in England, is the truth doesn't matter. So if you can't win the argument, create a different argument. So I think the no side in Ireland, as indeed is the case in Australia, the no side know that the Irish and the Australian people are for marriage equality. So they don't make the argument about marriage equality anymore. They make it about uh, children. They make it about safe schools. They make it about transgender bathrooms. And it's all very old fashioned misdirection. But, it, you know, it confuses people. But it's supposed to confuse people in the hope that they'll vote no because they have a little bit a little bit of doubt. and. It's dishonest, and it's frustrating, and it's every bit as frustrating to listen to here as it was at home.
0: It's not just from outside of the community either. There's a lot of uh, gay and lesbian people, or LGBTI people in general, who say, well, I don't want to get married, or why shouldn't people have a say on oh, no, it? I want the plebiscite. Uh, how do you, did you see that in Ireland? Did you have to confront people from within the community as well?
2: Uh, not so much. Um, we worried that we would have to, but, you know, the answer to anyone that says, I don't want to get married, is don't. Mm. Um, and that becomes the end of that argument. There's, not, there's no way to come back from that. Um, I don't accept that lesbian and gay rights in Australia should be taken aside compared to every other person's rights and go, well, these people have to have their rights decided by a public vote. It just doesn't hold water. It's not a logical position unless what you're actually saying is this group of people are especially threatening are especially worrying to society. And we're not. We've been here for a long time, you know, and we're in every family. We're in every community. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't think either arguments held water. The, there was always an argument, I suppose, for you know, that we were worried about where you would have LGBT people going, you know, marriage is you know, a patriarchal institution. But that didn't really manifest itself either. We were going, no, people get that as long as the institution exists, all couples should have access to it, uh, and and I, I think the debate moved on very very quickly past that.
1: One of my favourite quotes from the experience in Ireland was from the health minister um, uh, Leo. I'm get his Leo name right? how do you say it? Veradka. Veradkar. Now he's he said a quote along the lines of we are a minority, but when you take our mothers and our fathers and our brothers and our sisters and our friends and our colleagues, we're the majority which I think really very cleverly sort of uh, encapsulated reality.
2: Uh, Leo's a great guy too. Um, as you can tell, his name isn't Irish. His, his father is Indian uh, and his mother is Irish. Um, but it was always this idea that, you know, you tell the truth, remind people this is about someone who lives in your reality, someone who you work beside all the time, someone who you, uh, who's in your family, who sits at your table at Christmas dinner. You know, I, I'm... When people realize that, when they stop thinking about you know, the issue as a what and start thinking about it as a who, then they become supporters of marriage equality because they can see it's just about someone else. And we worked very hard as well that to have all those extra voices heard in the campaign. Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, friends, work colleagues, explaining why they were for marriage equality, not because they were getting anything from it, but you know, they could see how much this mattered. Uh, to someone that they loved and someone that they knew, and, and I think people sometimes, you know, find that in a way easier to relate to because, you know, with the best will in the world, most people aren't gay uh, and they don't expect to be in the near future, but so it, it can be a big leap to get them to empathize. But they can empathize with a mother because you know they've either had one, are one, want to be one, you know, so th- the perspective from there becomes one that they go, oh, I get that now. Oh God, that's so simple. We can do that and we should do that.
1: We're talking about how, you know, like, if, if you don't have a good argument to put up, you just cause confusion by trying to link it to lots of different things. There was a really interesting story this week that the Salvation Army came out and said that they'd had a look at the Safe Schools program and they were perfectly fine with it. That came to me as a bit of a surprise, you know, because the Salvation Army, especially here in Australia, have had a, a history of um, being seen as not being very supportive of the LGBTIQ community. It's only a few years ago that, um, one of their uh, majors went on joy FM in Melbourne and and surprisingly kind of took the host of, um, a, a bit of a surprise when he said he that uh you know death was a a, a sort of option possibly for people who were gay that should oh, okay. be put to death um which you know is a and a, I guess an unfortunate interview that has just gone been one of those things that keeps popping up on Facebook again and again and and it was just one individual within their organization sort of saying the extreme version of what is actually written in their guidebook. Mm. So it was surprising that they came out this week and said they'd had a look at the safe schools program and thought it was fine, and all the news reports about it saying that it was bad were false. Mm. I sort of called that out. But from the people who you know, say that's trying to link marriage equality in safe schools and say that safe schools are a terrible thing. There's just been silence. There's been crickets chirping. And it just made me think, is it hard to find times when there's actual real, genuine debate on this topic rather than just propaganda and statements being put out there? I mean, is it hard to get times when we actually talk about it?
2: I think it's very difficult now in, in a media perspective. You know, The media has become about debate and misdirection and clever one-liners and the big put-down or the massive, you know, slam dunk, Uh, and those don't move people or persuade people. Um, I think what we discovered at home for the referendum, but also, you know, in America and England and France, was that actually less debates on television and more conversations at home, more conversations in the workplace, because actually... Those conversations do change hearts and minds and people do ask questions and do get them answered. Uh, All too often now, when you ask a question on Q&A, you don't get it answered. You just, people nod to your question and then say what they wanted to say anyway. Uh, Whereas there's an awful lot of people watching these programmes going, but but I had a question. And what we've done in Ireland and what we want to do here is allow LGBT people in particular to see that actually you are the most persuasive person in the world that you live in. There's nothing that can be said on Q&A that will change more hearts and minds than when you talk to your family and your friends and your neighbors and your work colleagues cuz they have questions and people are people are scared to talk to us sometimes cuz they don't want to get the words wrong, they don't want to sound disrespectful, they don't you know, you don't want your auntie who's a lesbian thinking that you're, you know, an intolerant bigot, so you don't ask the questions. Um and as a result of that, the people continue to doubt. So how do we create an atmosphere where people can feel free to ask all these all these great questions? And I even just think, you know, even the terminology stops people. And this isn't about talking to strangers. Even in your house or your home, and, you know, in the workplace, you know, you want to ask someone a question. Oh, God, God, I'd love to ask Mary about that, but I don't Is she QL? I don't want to get the letter wrong. Is it B? Is it, you know, and, and we have to try and work hard to take that down. There was a, there was a great minister in the government in Ireland whose name I'm not going to tell, um, who kept telling me the whole way through the campaign how much he was for BLT equality. And he went around <laughs> and he campaigned for sandwiches for, for six months all around Ireland. And you know, but that's okay. That That's his language. And, you know, if you want to be politically correct and shut him down... Um, oh, one more, which I liked. There's a uh, woman comes to the door in the middle of Ireland to two fellas during the campaign, and, and she says... Uh, oh I'm so glad you're here I'm voting yes a very nice middle aged middle class lady and I don't know about himself indoors she says pointing to the sitting room where the husband was and the next thing he shouts out going who's at the door and she roars back in oh the queers are at the door <laughs> they're looking to get married <laughs> and he turns around after about 10 seconds which must have felt like 10 minutes to the two poor fellas at the door but turns around and says ah oh, sure tell them tell them I'm alright I'll be voting yes but tell them I'm taken and <laughs> all of these fabulous stories that come back from the conversations I, people want to talk to us about this and what we're talking about is something wonderful so we should really want to have the conversations and our arguments stand up to every scrutiny so we should, we should enjoy what we're promoting and what we're persuading people on
1: It's so very true. I was listening to Talkback Radio here in Perth last year and uh, sort of 10 o'clock at night and they were talking about marriage equality and there was a guy and his name was Vince and I I will remember him forever. And he called up and he said, he wasn't too sure about marriage equality, but his sticking point was that when he meets someone down the pub and he says like, how's your missus? If they're gay, he won't know what to say now. And, And that was the stopping point for him. And it was like, I just really wanted to say, you know, Vince, I'd say that, you know. And he didn't want to put, make someone feel embarrassed yeah. that they would have to come out and say, oh, Vince, my, my husband, I'm, I'm my husband yeah. and, you know, his name is Lawrence. Um, and he really just needed someone to say that we'd be okay with that moment of, you know, I, confusion I think, over titles.
2: I think totally. I think we have to work really hard at understanding why people are just a little scared sometimes to ask. And the smallest things that we can do will, will remove that fear. And then they get to have you know these great conversations that do change people's minds. You know. The The polling we have in Australia is really interesting. The difference between a yes voter and a no voter isn't down to geography. It's not down to income or gender. You know. uh, the real difference is whether they think they know a lesbian or gay person. So the people who are currently soft no voters in Australia... It really stands out. They all think, they, all, they say they don't know an LGBT person. Of course they do, but they, they don't see them in their lives. They think they don't. And when people do see them and do have the conversations, that's when they become yes voters. And, and not, just, not just people who are in favour, but advocates of it, because right? they get it then. So we should just be doing everything we can to have a campaign of happy conversations.
0: Yes. Yeah, so tell us about the campaign you're launching uh, with this series of television advertisements.
2: So the new equality campaign, uh, Australian Marriage Equality and Australians for Equality are working with you know all these groups around the country, and we're very conscious we want to get away from the angry debate, and get back to human stories. So the new ad has you know all of these people from different walks of life, Australia, you know painting the new logo on a wall, but each one of those they're all real people, none of them are actors, um, and each one of those then has a mini film that comes out about it. So. You have the first people to the wall are actually an Aboriginal couple, a lesbian couple. Uh, then there's you know a mother who's painting the wall because of her son. There's a young a young man called Ben Davison who's painting the wall because of his mother's and he'd like them to get married. There's a granny Vietnamese granny for her painting for her Vietnamese grandson and there's a, a Church of England uh, vicar, and there are all these people you know, have these different perspectives on why they're for marriage equality because they've met someone in their lives or because it's important to them so that we can refocus it back on people. I think probably one of the things that's happened over the last few months, uh, just due to the world of politics, there's nothing we could do about this, is it became about process. And we were having arguments about plebiscites and parliamentary procedures you know, and politics. And when we're doing that, we're missing what it's about, which is about your neighbour, your brother. Your sister, your aunt, and we wanted to pull it back to that, so that we can spend the next whatever length of time it is, hopefully as short as possible, reminding people all the time a that this is about real people, uh, but also at the same time reminding LGBT people who watch those ads and mothers and fathers who watch those ads, going, I I can tell that story, I can see that story in me, and therefore I can be the person that can have this conversation. So we go from this ad to the next phase, which will be campaign of conversations Now you know this is about you about someone in your life let's all talk about it
0: and you you mentioned uh, there's a vicar in the campaign uh, obviously one of the major arguments against marriage equality comes from a place of religion for, for a lot of people uh, but you recently held a successful forum in Canberra
2: yeah we were in Canberra this week um, and we had you know speakers from most of the faiths we had from pretty much every Christian denomination we had Rabbis, we had uh, uh, Muslim iman all talking about why they're for marriage equality and why they're for marriage equality, you know, because of their faith and their values, not in spite of it. Um, and, you know, we had this obviously in Ireland too. Ireland's a, there's no point in us thinking Ireland's very, it's still, still a religious country, you know, we, we all come from. The type of families you expect us to come from. My mother's a choir mistress, and my uncle is a priest, and uh, who works out in the missions in Peru. So I'm All those stereotypes Irish are based family. in truth. <laughs> you know? Well, and, and it's like that. But well, as I keep saying, you know, you can't watch a Hollywood film where there's a priest in it without the priest having an Irish accent. They still have Irish accents. So, you know, Ireland didn't just jettison its faith. You know, it it voted yes because of it. Um, and it's always very interesting in that. Unfortunately, we hear the clarion voices again. Back to the odd voices on the extreme, but the clarion voices in a lot of churches, um, you know. So in Ireland, you know, the leadership of the Catholic Church, but that they don't represent how Catholics were feeling about this. You know, the majority of Catholics in Austra- in Ireland are for this. The majority of Catholics in Australia, all the polls clearly say, for example, just taking that faith as an example, are for this. So there's a gap between upper management and the flock. <laughs> you know, and I think one of the things we want to do at Wednesday uh, at the conference, but also going forward, is, is make sure all those people of faith can find their voice in this and realise that actually we can be advocates uh, and not be in conflict with what we believe in. We can actually be advocates because of what we believe in.
1: How long do you think it is until Australia achieves marriage equality?
2: You're really going to make me answer that question.
1: That's, that's well, cruel. you know, what, the reason I mean, there's a reason I ask. The reason I ask is because the the thing we've heard in the wake yeah. of the plebiscite not happening is is a large number of politicians saying, "Well, that's it; it's done till the next election," and that that obviously can't be the answer. It's not like a whole bunch of people are going to sit and be who want to get married are going to sit and be quiet for yeah. two years. That that's completely. Uh, you know, if anyone really thinks that's an outcome that's going to happen, they're, they're obviously in crazy daydream land. Um, we're not going to sit down and be quiet about this. But I think also sometimes some people feel that this has been pushed off and, the you know, the, the uh, motivation for going to protests and, you know, are we just in a holding pattern or is there a way forward? No,
2: well... We have to find ways forward. There's lots of potential ways forward. It's about finding which one will allow it to happen. I think it would be an awful shame if we have to wait until the next election for something that we already have a majority in parliament in favor of. Um, I think sometimes people mistake marriage equality with, with other political issues. You know, it's, you know, I've heard so many people say, oh, no, this will be like the Republic, the issue will go away, and you are going, no, this is, goes to the very heart of a person's dignity they're not going to walk away they're not going to suddenly decide oh well that's okay I'll see you in three years you know and I think one of the things we want to do with the campaign is you know really give voice to that to remind our lawmakers that this isn't going to disappear and the only way you can really get it off the political agenda is if you pass marriage equality uh, and building that building on the momentum um, ironically I suppose the threat of the plebiscite built a greater momentum than we ever had before and a lot of organisations came together all over the country. You know, we have more capacity than we had ever before now to run a campaign and to empower people to tell their stories. So we have to build on that and keep the momentum going. You know, at the same time as working with all, all the politicians, see how do we find a way through this when we know it's Australia's will. And I think one of the things that I think LGBT people in particular can take great comfort in is there was a time when this campaign was a minority talking about minority rights. It's not that anymore. The campaign now is the voice of Australia. There's poll after poll after poll, year after year after year, is saying this now. We're no longer a voice in the wilderness. And what we're really trying to do is get a law passed on behalf of the people of Australia that
1: reflects their values. Tane and Brady, thank you so much for joining us on Solo Questions. Thanks very much. <laughs> If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. We'd love it if you gave us a review on iTunes and subscribe so you don't miss out on an episode. You can join the conversation about this show on Twitter using the hashtag Soloquacious or head to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com forward slash Out in Perth, where you can add your comments on the timeline. If you'd like to connect with the team from Out in Perth, you'll find us at outinperth.com. Until next time, remember be vocal, be loud, be fabulous, and be so loquacious. Bye now.
0: Bye.